8. Of steady work in and wholesome shops or surroundings, 2nd. The presence in the blood of the poisons of the more chronic infectious diseases, like tuberculosis, 3rd. The waste products that are formed in our own body, and are not properly got rid of through lungs, skin, and kidneys, and 4th. The use of alcohol, tobacco, and other narcotics. The bad effects of alcohol. Alcohol is particularly likely to damage the walls of the blood vessels and the heart. First, because it is a direct poison to their cells, when taken in excess, and often in what may appear to be moderate amounts, if long continued. Secondly, because it is frequently taken, especially by the poorer, and earth class of workers, as a substitute for food, causing them literally to spend their money for that which is not bread, and to leave their tissues half-starved. And thirdly, because, by its narcotic effects, it decreases respiration and clogs the kidneys and the skin, thus preventing the waste products from leaving the body. How the heart valves may be injured. The valves of the heart are likely to give way, partly because they are under such constant strain, snapping backward and forward day and night, and partly, because, in order to be thin enough and strong enough for this kind of work, they have become turned, almost entirely, into stringy, half-dead, fibrous tissue, which has neither the vitality nor the resisting power of the live body stuffs like muscles, gland cells, and nerves, they are so tough, however, that they seldom give way under ordinary wear and tear, as the leather of a pump valve, or of your shoes, might, but the thing which damages them, nine times out of ten, is the germs or poisons of some infectious disease, these poisons circulating through the blood, sometimes set up a severe inflammation in the valves and the lining of the heart, ulcers, or little wart-like growths, form on the valves, and these may either eat away and destroy entirely parts of the valves or, when they heal, leave scars which shorten and twist the valves out of shape, so that they can no longer close the openings. When this has happened, the heart is in the condition of a pump which will not hold water, because the leather valve in its bucket is broken or warped, and we say that the patient has valvular or organic heart disease. The disease which most frequently causes this serious defect is rheumatism, or rheumatic fever, but it may also occur after pneumonia, typhoid, blood poisoning, or even after a common cold, or an attack of the grip. This is one of several reasons why we should endeavor, in every way, to avoid and stop the spread of these infectious diseases. Not only are they dangerous in themselves, but although only two of them, rheumatism and pneumonia, frequently attack the heart, all of them do so occasionally, and together they cause nearly nine-tenths of all cases of organic heart disease. Should you be unfortunate enough to catch one of these diseases, the best preventive against its attacking the heart, or causing serious damage, if it does, is a very simple one rest in bed until the fever is all gone and your doctor says it is perfectly safe for you to get up, and avoid any severe muscular strain for several months afterward. This is a most important thing to remember after all infections and fevers, no matter how mild, even where the heart valves have been seriously attacked, as in rheumatism. They will often recover almost completely if you keep at rest, and your heart is not overtaxed by the strain of heavy, muscular work, before it has entirely recovered, 10 days, taking it easy, after a severe cold, or a bad sore throat, may save you a serious strain upon the heart, from which you might be months or even years in recovering, but even where serious damage has been done to the heart, so that one of its valves leaks badly, nature is not at the end of her resources. 
she simply sets to a work to build up and strengthen and thicken the heart muscle until it is strong enough to overcome the defect and pump blood enough to keep the body properly supplied just as, if you are working with a leaky pump, you will have to pump harder and faster in order to keep a good stream of water flowing. It is astonishing how completely she will make good the loss of even a considerable part of a valve. Doctors no longer forbid patients with heart disease to take exercise, but set them at carefully planned exercise in the open air, particularly walking and hill climbing, at the same time feeding them well, so as to assist nature in building up and strengthening the heart muscle until it can overcome the defect. In this way, they may live, with reasonable care, 10, 15, or 20 years often, in fact, until they die of something else. Don't worry about your heart if it should happen to palpitate, or take a hop skip and jump occasionally. You will never get real heart disease until you have had some fever or serious illness, which leaves you short of breath for a long time afterward. Danger to the heart through the nervous system. The other chief way in which the heart may be affected is through the nervous system, being the great supply pump for the entire body. It island of course, connected most thoroughly and elaborately by nerve wires with the brain and, through it, with every other organ in the body, so delicately is it geared, set on such a hair trigger, as it were, that it not only beats faster when work is done anywhere in the body, but begins to hurry in anticipation of work to be done anywhere, you all know how your heart throbs and beats like a hammer and goes pin a pat when you are just expecting to do something important, for instance, to speak a piece or strike a fast ball, or even when you are greatly excited watching somebody else do something, as in the finish of a close race, two-thirds of the starts and jumps and throbbings that the heart makes, are due to excitement, or nervous overstrain, or the fact that your dinner is not digesting properly, and they don't indicate anything serious at all, but are simply full danger signals to you that something is not just right, in work and in athletics for instance, this rapid and uncomfortably vigorous action of the heart is one of nature's best checks and guides, when your heart begins to throb and plunge uncomfortably, you should slow up until it begins to quiet down again, and you will seldom get into serious trouble, the next time you try the same feat, you will probably find that you can go a little farther, or faster, without making it throb, indeed, getting into training is very largely getting the heart built up and educated, so that you can run or play, or wrestle hard without overtaxing it, whatever you can do within the limits of your heart is safe, wholesome, and invigorating, whatever goes beyond this, is dangerous and likely to be injurious, occasionally, however, some of the nerves which control the heart become disturbed or diseased so that, instead of the heart simply beating harder and faster whenever more blood is really needed, it either throbs and beats a great deal harder and faster than is necessary, or goes racing away on its own account, and beats, for dear life, when there is no occasion for it, thus tiring itself out without doing any good, and producing a very unpleasant feeling of nervousness and discomfort, this may be due to overwork, whether with muscles or brain, or to a worry or a loss of sleep, in which case it means that you must put on the brakes, take plenty of rest and exercise in the open air, and get plenty of sleep, then these danger signals, having accomplished their warning purpose, will disappear, other causes of heart trouble, at other times, this palpitation is due to the presence of poisons in the blood, either those of infectious disease, or of certain waste products produced in the body in excess, as, for instance, when your digestion is out of order, or your skin, kidneys, and bowels are not working properly, or it is due to tea, 
coffee, or tobacco, effects of tea and coffee, tea and coffee, if taken in excess, will sometimes produce very uncomfortable palpitation, or rapid overaction of the heart, with restlessness and inability to sleep, they usually act in this way only when taken in large amounts, or upon a small percentage of persons who are peculiarly affected by them, and this palpitation is seldom serious, and disappears when their excessive use is stopped. Tobacco and its dangers to the heart. Tobacco has a very injurious effect upon the nerves of the heart in the young, making them so irritable that the heart will beat very rapidly on the least exertion, so that gradually one becomes less and less inclined to attempt exertion of any sort, whether bodily or mental, and falls into a stagnant, stupid sort of condition which seriously interferes with both growth and progress. In other cases, tobacco dulls and deadens the nerves controlling the heart as it does the rest of the nervous system and the brain, so that the smoker feels as if nothing were worthwhile doing very hard, and it becomes difficult for him to fix his mind upon a subject, at the same time, it dulls the appetite so that one takes less wholesome food, and it checks, or clogs up, the sewer pipes of the skin, the liver, and the kidneys, of course, as you know, all trainers and coaches, even though they be habitual smokers themselves, Absolutely forbid tobacco in any form to athletes who are training for a contest, on account of its effects upon the nervous system and the heart. A certain percentage of individuals are peculiarly susceptible to tobacco, so that it has a special poisonous effect upon the nerves of the heart, causing a rapid pulse and shortness of breath, known as tobacco heart. This is not a very common occurrence, but it is exceedingly troublesome when it does occur, and it takes a long time to get over it even after the use of tobacco has been stopped entirely. Sometimes it leads to permanent damage of the nerves and of the heart. Give your heart plenty of vigorous exercise, but don't make it beat uncomfortably hard. Give it plenty of food, sleep, and fresh air. Avoid poisoning it, either with the toxins of diseases, or with your own waste poisons, or alcohol, or tobacco, and it will serve you faithfully till a good old age. Chapter XII How and Why We Breathe Life is Shown by Breathing If you wanted to find out whether a little black bunch up in the branches of a tree were a bird or a cluster of leaves, or a brown blur in the stubble were a rabbit or a clod, the first thing you would probably look for would be to see whether it moved, and secondly, if you could get close enough without its moving away, whether it were breathing, you would know perfectly well if you saw it breathing that it was alive, and that, if it were not breathing at all, it would probably be dead, or very nearly so. Why is breathing so necessary to a life that it lasts practically as long as life does, and when it stops, life stops too? Animals can stop eating for days, or even weeks, and yet live, especially if they were fairly fat when they began to fast. Indeed, some animals, like woodchucks, bears, and marmots, will go to sleep in the fall, and sleep right on through to spring without eating a mouthful. But if any animal or bird is prevented from breathing for three minutes, it will die. Short storage supply of air. There is a difference between the kind of things that you take in when you breathe and the kind of things you take in when you eat or drink. Food and drink are solids and liquids, and the body is a great sponge of one soaked full of the other, so that large amounts of food and water can be stored up in the body. But what you take in when you breathe island of course, air which is neither a solid nor a liquid, but a gas, very light and bulky. Of gases the body can soak up and hold only a very small amount, so its storage supply of them will be used up completely in about three minutes, and then it dies if it cannot get more air. 
why our bodies need air oxidation. The body is made up of millions of tiny living animals called cells, which eat the food that is brought to them from the blood and pour their waste and dirt back again into the same current. Now, what would happen if we were to throw all the garbage from the kitchen, and the wash water from the kitchen sink, and the dirty water from the bathroom right into the well out of which we pumped our drinking water? We should simply be poisoned within two or three days, if indeed we could manage to drink the disgusting mixture at all. That is exactly what would happen to our body cells if they were not provided with some way of getting rid of their waste and dirt. Illustration, the great essential to a life air if the air, supplied to the diver through the tube, is cut off for three minutes, or even less. The diver cannot live. Part of the waste that comes from our body cells is either watery, or easily dissolved in water, and this is carried in the blood to a special set of filter organs the liver and the kidneys and poured out of the body as the urine. Another part of it, when circulating through the skin, is passed off in the form of that watery vapor which we call perspiration, or sweat. But part of the waste can be got rid of only by burning, and what we call burning is another name for combining with oxygen, or to use one word oxidation, and this is precisely the purpose of the carrying of oxygen by the little red blood cells from the lungs to the deeper parts of the body to burn up, or oxidize, these waste materials which would otherwise poison our cells, when they are burnt or oxidized, they become almost harmless, why the red cells carry only oxygen to the body, but why do not the red cells carry air instead of just oxygen, this is simply a clever little economy of space on nature's part, as a chemist will tell you the air which we breathe is a mixture of two gases one called nitrogen and the other oxygen, just as syrup, for instance, is a mixture of sugar and water, then too, as in syrup, there are different amounts of the two substances in the mixture, as syrup is made up of about one quarter sugar and three quarters water, so air is made up of one fifth oxygen and four fifths nitrogen. Now the interesting thing about this mixture, which we call air, is that the only really lift and vital part of it for breathing purposes is the one fifth of oxygen, the four fifths of nitrogen being of no use to our lungs. In fact, if you split up the air with an electric current, or by some other means, and thus divide it into a small portion of pure oxygen one fifth, and a very much larger portion for fifths of nitrogen. The latter would as promptly suffocate the animal that tried to breathe it as if he were plunged underwater. It may perhaps be difficult to think of anything burning inside of your bodies where everything is moist, especially as you do not see any flame, but you do find there one thing which always goes with burning, and that is warmth, or heat, the slow but steady and never ceasing burning, or oxidation, of the waste and dirt inside your bodies is what keeps them warm. When you run fast, or wrestle, or work hard, your muscle cells work faster, and make more waste, and you breathe faster to get in the oxygen to burn this up in other words, you fan the body fires, and in consequence you get a great deal hotter, and perhaps perspire in order to get rid of your surplus heat, the ocean of air, where does the blood in the body go in order to get this oxygen, which is so vital to it, naturally, somewhere upon the surface of the body because we are surrounded by air wherever we sit, or stand, or move, just as fishes are by water, all outdoors, as we say, is full of air, we are walking, just as fishes swim, at the bottom of an ocean of air some 30 miles deep, and the nearer we get up toward the surface of that ocean, as, for instance, when we climb a high mountain, the lighter and thinner the air becomes, above 10,000 feet we often have great difficulty in breathing properly, because the air is so thin and weak in oxygen, 
how the lungs grew up, in the simplest forms of life, any part of the soft and delicate surface will do for the blood to reach, in order to throw off its load of carbon, smoke, and take on its supply of oxygen, in fact, animals like jellyfish and worms are lungs all over, but as bodies begin to get bigger, and the skin begins to toughen and harden, this becomes more and more difficult, although even the highest and biggest animals like ourselves still throw off a certain amount of this carbon dioxide and other gases through the skin, accordingly, certain parts of the surface of the body are set apart specially for this business of breathing, and as we already had an opening into the body provided by the mouth and food tube, the simplest thing to do is to use the mouth for taking in air, when it is not being used for taking in food, and to set aside some part of the food tube for breathing purposes, the lungs sprout out from the front of the gullet, just below the root of the tongue, in the days when we are getting ready to be born, the sprout divides into two, forming the beginning of the pair of lungs, each lung sprout again divides into two, and each of the two smaller buds again into two, until finally we have the whole chest filled up with a lung tree, whose trunk stems and leaves are hollow, the stem of the tree or bush becomes the windpipe trachea, the first two branches into which it divides form the right and left lung tubes, known as bronchi, the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, etc. divisions, and so on, form what are known as the bronchial tubes, these keep on splitting into tinier and tinier twigs, until they end, like the bush, in little leaves, which in the lung, of course, are hollow and are called the air cells alveoli. The splitting off of the lungs from the gullet is the reason why the air we breathe and the food we swallow go down the same passage. Every mouthful of our food slides right across the opening of the windpipe, which has to be protected by a special flap, or trap door of gristle, called the epiglottis. If you try to eat and talk at the same time, the epiglottis doesn't get warning of the coming of a swallow of food in time to cover the opening of the windpipe, and the food goes down the wrong way and you cough and choke. Now. If you will just place your fingers upon the front of your neck and slide them up and down, you will, at once, feel your windpipe a hard, rounded tube with ridges running across it, while, no matter how carefully you feel, or how deeply you press, you cannot feel your gullet or esophagus at all. Just take a mouthful of water, however, put your fingers deeply on each side of the windpipe, and swallow, and you will feel something shoot down the esophagus, between your fingers toward the stomach, both of these tubes were made of exactly the same materials to begin with, why have they become so different, a moment's thought will tell you, 1, the gullet, has only to swallow solid food or drink, so that its walls can remain soft, and indeed fall together, except when it is actually swallowing, the other tube, the air pipe or windpipe, has to carry air, which neither will fall of its own weight, nor can readily be gulped down or belched up, it is absolutely necessary that its walls should become stiff enough to keep it open constantly and let the air flow backward and forward, so we find growing up in the walls of this air pipe, cells which turn themselves into rings of gristle, or cartilage, what the breath island, as you know, your breath, as you call it, that is to say, the used up air which you blow out of your lungs, is different in several ways from pure, or unused air, in the first place. It is likely to have a slight musky or mousy odor about it. You never like to breathe anyone else's breath, or have anyone breathe in your face. This dislike is due to certain gases, consisting of impurities from the blood, the cells of the lungs, the throat, the nose, and, if the mouth is open, the teeth. These are not only offensive and disagreeable to smell, 
but poisonous to breathe, then your breath is much warmer than the rest of the air, in fact, on a very cold morning you may have tried to warm up your fingers by breathing on them, and you have also noticed that if a number of people are shut up in a room with doors and windows closed, it soon begins to feel hot as well as stuffy, this heat, of course, is given off from the blood in the lungs and in the walls of the throat and nose, as the air passes in and out again, when you stand at the window on a cold day, the glass just in front of your mouth clouds over, so that you can no longer see through it, and if you rub your finger across this cloud, it comes away wet, evidently, the air is moister than it was when you breathed it in, this moisture also has been given off from the blood in the lungs, but what of the principal waste gas that the blood gives off in the lungs the carbon, smoke, or carbon dioxide, can you see any trace of this in the breath, Mumber you cannot, for the reason that this gas is like air, perfectly clear and transparent, and never turns to moisture at any ordinary temperature, but it has a power of combining with certain other things and forming substances which, because they are combinations of carbon, are called carbonates, the commonest substance with which it will do this is lime, if you take a glass or a bottle two thirds full of lime water, and breathe into it through a glass tube or straw, you will see in a very few minutes that it is becoming milky or cloudy from the formation of visible carbonate of lime, which, when you get enough of it, makes ordinary limestone, so, although you cannot see, or smell, this carbon, smoke, in your breath, you can readily prove that it is present, how and why our breathing varies, when you run or wrestle, you breathe faster in order to draw more air into the lungs, at the same time, your heart beats faster in order to drive a larger amount of blood through the lungs, if you run too far, or wrestle too hard, your heart and your lungs both go faster and faster, until finally they reach a point when they cannot go any quicker, and the poisonous waste substances are formed in your muscles faster than they can possibly be burned up, even by the quickest breathing and the hardest pumping of your heart, then you begin to get out of breath, and if you were compelled in order to save your life, for instance to keep on running, or fighting, you would at last be suffocated by your own waste and dirt, and fall exhausted, or unconscious, on the other hand, by carefully training your muscles and your heart and your lungs by exercises of various sorts in the open air, beginning with easy ones and going on to harder and longer ones, you can improve your wind, so that your heart will be able to pump more blood through the lungs per minute, and your lungs will be able to expand themselves more fully and more rapidly without fatigue, if you can recall having had a fever of any sort, even a slight one, such as comes with a sore throat or a bad cold, you may remember that you breathed faster and that your heart beat faster, and yet you were not doing any work with your muscles. The cause, however, is the same, namely, the amount of waste that is being produced in the body in this case, by the poisons toxins of the germs that cause the fever. The more waste that is formed in the body, the more effort the heart and lungs will make to try to get rid of it. The ribs, how does the air get in and out of the lung tubes? Evidently you do not and cannot swallow it as you would food or drink, and as it will not run down of its own accord when you simply open your mouth. Nature has had to devise a special bit of machinery for the purpose of sucking it in and pressing it out again. This she has done in a rather ingenious manner by causing certain of the muscle rings in the wall of the chest to turn first into gristle, or cartilage, and then later into bone, making what are known as the ribs, these run round the chest much as hoops do round a barrel or as the whalebone rings did in the old-fashioned hoop skirt. When the muscles of the chest pull these ribs up, the chest is made larger, like a bellows when you lift the handle, 
air is sucked in and we breathe in, as we say, when the muscles let go. The ribs sink. The chest flattens and becomes smaller. The air is driven out. And we breathe out. Footnotes, this nitrogen, though of no value for breathing, is of great value as a food, forming, as we have seen, an important part of all meats, or proteins, which build the tissues of our bodies. It can, however, be taken from the air only with great difficulty. By a very roundabout route, the bacteria of the soil eat it first. Then they pass it on as food to the roots of plants, animals eat plants, and we eat the animals, and thus get most of our nitrogen. Chapter XIV How to keep the lung bellows in good condition The need of pure air free air is pure, as air, in the form of wind, actually sweeps all outdoors, day and night. It clearly is likely to pick up a good many different kinds of dust and dirt, which may not be wholesome when breathed into our lungs. Fortunately, nature's great outdoor system of purifying the air is almost perfect, so that it is only when we build houses and shut in air from the great outdoor circulation, that dirt that is really dangerous begins to get into it. Caged air is the only air that is dangerous. Free-moving air is always perfectly safe to breathe any hour of the day or night, or any season of the year. Shut-in and stagnant air is foul. This restless air gas cannot be stored outside of the body any better than it can be inside. For one thing, it is too bulky, and for another, it begins to become impure in various ways. As soon as it is shut up, it is the most unmanageable food that we eat, for we can neither cook it nor wash it like solid food, nor filter it nor boil it like water, except on a very limited scale. We can do nothing to it except to foul it, which we do with every breath that we breathe, every fire that we make, every factory that we build, Our only chance of safety, our only hope of life, is to connect every room and every corner of those little brick and mortar boxes, those caged sections of out of doors, that we call houses, with nature's great system of air supply, all outdoors. Fortunately, the only thing needed to make the connection is to open a window no need to send for a plumber or put in a meter, and there is no charge for the supply after connections have been made. The enormous amount of air, air outdoors is everywhere for practical purposes, absolutely pure, just as water is when it comes down from the clouds, and like water, its only dangerous impurities are what we put there ourselves, the purity of outdoor air is due mainly to the fact that there is such an enormous amount of it, not only the miles and miles of it that stretch away on every side of us, but nearly 30 miles of it straight up above our heads, its purity is also due to the fact that, like water, it is always in motion, when heated by the sun day it expands, and, in doing so, it rises because it is less dense and therefore lighter, as soon as the pressure of the air above is lessened, air rushes in below from all the cooler regions around, this rushing of air we call a wind, if the low pressure lies to the north of us, the air rushes northward over us to fill it, and we say the wind is from the south, if the air is flowing to the south of us, we say the wind is from the north, how air is purified, In these winds certain small amounts of dust, or dirt, or leaf mold are whirled up into the air, but these are promptly washed down again whenever it rains, and the same is true of the smoke impurities in the air of our great cities. Air is also constantly being purified by the heat and light of the sunbeams, burned clean in streaks by the jagged bolt of the lightning in summer, and frozen sweet and pure by the frosts every winter, so that air in the open, or connected with the open, and free to move as it will is always pure and wholesome, but to be sure of this, it must be, eaten alive, that island in motion, stagnant air is always dead and, like all dead things, 
has begun to decay. The carbon dioxide in the air, air, as you will remember page 132, is a mixture of oxygen and nitrogen, and its value in the body is that it gives off part of its oxygen to combine with the body wastes and burn them to carbon dioxide. Oddly enough, even pure outdoor air contains tiny traces of carbon dioxide, but the amount is so very small as to be of no practical importance. In spite of the fact that every kind of animal that lives and moves upon the earth is pouring it out from his lungs every second, the rapidity with which it disappears is due in part to the rapidity with which it rises and spreads, or is blown, in every direction, and in part to the wonderful arrangement by which, while animals throw off this poisonous gas as waste, plants eagerly suck it in through the pores in their leaves and eat it, turning it into the carbohydrates, starch and sugar, which, in turn, become valuable foods for the animals. So perfect is this system of escape, or blowing away, of carbon dioxide, combined with its being eaten up by plants, that even the air over our great cities and manufacturing towns contains only the merest trifle more of carbon dioxide than that over the open country. Its other smoke impurities, dirts and dusts, escape, or are blown away so rapidly that they are seldom thick enough to be injurious to health, except in the narrowest and darkest streets, so that it is always safe to open your windows wide for air, wherever you may live. The principal danger from smoke is that it cuts off the sunlight. The necessity for ventilation impurities of indoor air. The worst impurities in air are those that come from our own breaths and our own bodies, and, unexpectedly enough, carbon dioxide is not one of them. In spite of hundreds of experiments, we do not yet know exactly what these impurities are, though they are doubtless given off from our lungs our skins, our mouths, and teeth, especially if the latter are not kept clean and sweet, but left dirty and decaying, we do know, however, to a certainty that air shut up in a room, or house, with people, rapidly becomes poisonous and unwholesome, as we breathe on an average about 18 or 20 times to the minute when we are grown up, and 25 to 30 times a minute when we are children, you can readily see how quickly the air in an ordinary sized room will be used up, and how foul and unfit for further breathing it will become from being loaded with these bad-smelling lighter gases, with the carbon, smoke, with heat, and with moisture. The only way in which a room can be kept fit for human beings to breathe in is to have a draft, or current of air, pouring into it through open windows.